thanks for joining us for another episode of the Appledore Research Podcast. My name is Robert Curran, Consulting Analyst with Appledore. As ever, we're here to share insights on the transformation of telecom in the era of cloud, network automation, and AI. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, enjoy the show. One of the recurring themes in Appledore's coverage of the telecom software market has been the increasing presence of what we might call big IT within areas that telecom used to think of as uniquely telco. It is an inevitable consequence of the convergence of IT and telecom, but it's a trend that also seems to be accelerating. In big IT, they don't come much bigger than Microsoft. In the last few years, Microsoft has taken some pretty bold steps right into the heartland of telecom with acquisitions of Affirm Networks and Metaswitch. And with a multi-billion dollar investment in AI, it's hard to deny that Microsoft looks set to become a major vendor in, in telco. And that's even without talking about the Azure business. So to put all this in perspective, very happy today to be joined by Rick Leavano, uh, Microsoft's CTO for the worldwide telecom industry. Welcome, Rick. Thanks, Robert. Uh, unbelievable. You actually pronounced my last name correctly. I, I don't think <laughs> I've heard that in years. <laughs> we, we like to do our research. <laughs> so uh, pleasure to be here and, and uh, joined with, uh, by uh, John and Grant, who uh, I've known for many years. Uh, we run in similar circles. Uh, we've been in a number of uh, webinars uh, together and certainly attend the same events. Uh, and I've been a, an avid listener of your podcast, so love the insights. Uh, great work, and thanks for having me. Excellent. Thanks so much. As you mentioned, welcome back to John John Abraham, uh, Appledore's principal analyst for the digital enablement space. So, John, welcome back again. Thank you, Robert. Um, I would also like to uh, extend my welcome to Rick. Um, you know, for, for, for our listeners, you, you probably know, but, you know, Microsoft has been in quite an interesting place of late, uh, especially from a BSS perspective. They've always had the Dynamics CRM, uh, Microsoft Dynamics 365 portfolio, you know, uh, but, but. On top of that, they earlier this year announced a very important strategic partnership with Amdocs. Uh, and then, you know, just before that, we all heard about the explosion of ChatGPT. Uh, and, and all of these things have implications, significant implications for um, how customers engage with uh, the operator, you know, through the BSS system. So, so there's a lot going on. And again, this is without getting into uh, the Azure for operators portfolio. And Rick here is smack in the middle of it. So really exciting to have you with us today, Rick. Thanks, John. That's that's awesome. I mean, we can certainly get started with with uh, Amdocs, right? So maybe let's talk Amdocs a little bit because uh, sure. frankly, what we say is that we're really bringing the best of Amdocs, the best of Microsoft, kind of melting uh, these uh, this capability together. We're cooking up a delicious meal for our telco customers, right? So. Um, Yummy. It comes together like uh, we say in the U.S., uh, peanut butter and and, uh, and jelly, but maybe that doesn't translate internationally. Maybe grilled <laughs> cheese and tomato soup is, is a combination that everybody loves, right? But what, what you really got is, is Amdocs' is market-leading, their commerce and care suite. Uh, now you marry that to the Microsoft Cloud solutions, things like Microsoft 365 for collaboration and you know things like Teams. Marry that to Dynamics 365 for business apps, for your customer service, for sales, for marketing. And you really do have a unique uh, pre-integrated, and now this is very important, you have a telco verticalized solution out of the box, right? So no more customizations and, and extensions you have to build right. yourself. It's ready to go, and it's a, really a seamless experience for our joint telco customers. 
And so you mentioned Dynamics CRM. So think of Dynamics 365, which is really our, our, our CRM pl uh, platform and sales platform, but with Telco Affinity out of the box, right? And it's really just the beginning. Um, I think, you know, you were there during the announcement last uh, Mobile World Congress, right? So right. we announced it there. Uh, now the, the, the product is officially uh, termed the Amdocs Customer Engagement Platform. And it's really a platform that enables service providers to improve their engagement, uh, to improve their end user experiences and journeys across all channels, all applications, uh, allowing them to streamline their business processes and better monetize their 5G network, right? And, and, and all of this powered uh, with the cloud and then Microsoft's leading AI capabilities, which, you know, will cover co-pilot to some of the things that you mentioned as well. Yeah. Yeah, great. I think you you, you put it well, uh, Rick. Um, you know, the uh, best of Microsoft coming together with the best of Amdocs. Um, uh, you know, I going back to that announcement at MWC post that I actually wrote an article about this, which I think you had a uh, you had a chance to read as well. You know, where one of the comments I made was that uh, Dynamic CRM could be you know could actually be doing a lot better, uh, and 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 Microsoft obviously has a lot on its plate, and just this is just looking at all its activities towards telco uh, and i felt that coming together with amdocs was a fantastic way to address the fact that it can actually be taken far more quickly to a lot more uh, prospects and customers yeah. and at the same time it provides uh, the two of you together a better portfolio to compete against you know the giant in this field for now you know which is salesforce so in, in in ways more than one i think this is a good combo coming together and and we are just waiting to see how the final product which goes live later this year i think you know when it launches how how that is going to be you've got uh quite the eye and quite the insight down right but i mean look at these products together and the fact that the synergy is just amazing, right? We, we didn't compete with Amdocs in this space in the sense that we have a product in Dynamics 365 that was quite horizontal. It really provided really extensive capabilities to create world-class uh, CRM types of solutions. But the reality is that Microsoft didn't target the telecom industry directly. We relied on partners to go and build and extend Dynamics right. 365 uh, for those types of use cases, right? Whereas our competitors made some acquisitions uh, in order to really build that muscle first party, right? Build it themselves. Right. Um, we opted not to do that, right? We decided, look, let's partner with an industry leader like an Amdocs uh, to really bring in, you know, those capabilities like, uh, you know, their catalog, their CPQ, their order management, and then integrate them uh, tightly with the existing Dynamics 365 capabilities, right? To, be to create this best-in-class solution for both the consumer line of business as well as the enterprise uh, line of business. And so we can now do full 360 degree views that span uh, all engagement, transactional and network data, all in one application that's seamless. And, uh, and it's a really a complete customer engagement solution that's tailored again, specifically for the needs of telcos, but it's uh, been a perfect marriage from my vantage point. Great. Rick, I know you've been in the, the worldwide CTO role just for about two years, I think, but you've been at Microsoft since forever, uh, <laughs> in a good way. Uh, and, and, you know, given that, that model, you mentioned that, that Microsoft not traditionally kind of selling directly and certainly not directly to telco, but selling through partners. You know, with your pretty extensive Microsoft context, when you came into looking at telco specifically, wh what did you notice was different versus what you had seen with other customers and in other industry segments? What, 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 what was, what was the same and what was kind of surprising about about the telco world? 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a surprise. Now I feel like uh, like a little bit ge geriatric here. I've been in Microsoft almost 25 years, and believe it or not, uh, working with telcos, my entire history with Microsoft, right? So okay. I, I've actually, uh, you know, have very little experience outside of telco uh, with regards to, to, to my work with Microsoft. Um, but uh, Robert, look, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? I'm not sure who said that, but... Uh, you know, in, in these over 20 years, um, I've seen some interesting things. And, and I would say that, you know, despite all the technological advances, um, you know, all the shifts that we hear nowadays uh, of telcos becoming techos, telcos really continue to maintain their core focus on communication services, right? Mm -hmm. The essential nature of, of connectivity, uh, of con uh, communication services really remains the central part of their business. Um, maybe another thing that hasn't changed uh, is around regulatory compliance uh, for telcos, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, they, they continue to operate with these stringent uh, regulatory frameworks. Um, you know, that, that hasn't changed. Uh, it's, it's really, it's tough, right? They've got to govern all aspects of their security, their, um, their privacy, accessibility. And, uh, and maybe a third is around it being a capital intensive business, right? With every new G that's announced, guess what? Uh, they got to go buy Spectrum, invest heavily, build out the network lather rinse repeat for the next g doesn't seem to to change right but you know we, we've got we've got some surprises and things that um, that have changed and that are moving uh you know in, in uh, interesting directions and maybe we can cover some of those but um i sit in kind of this intersection of of the cloud and the network right in the sense that um you know obviously work with operators uh, primarily and uh I would say maybe there is something to this cloud thing after all, right? Because telco cloud adoption is through the roof, right? It's growing uh, dramatically more so, you know, with every year that, that passes. Um, and it's bringing technologies like AI, like automation, you know, along for the ride or, or maybe the other way around, you know, they're investing, telcos are investing in AI and other technologies that are really pushing kind of the cloud forward. Uh, but what's clear is that, for example, the, the pace at which telcos are embracing uh, and implementing AI across their entire business, uh, you know, especially generative AI, has really been very, very surprising. And and whichever the case, telco execs uh, are more open to cloud now than ever. In fact, many of the telcos that I work with regularly have explicit cloud-first strategies, meaning, hey, I've got a new workload, I've got to deploy it in the cloud, um, and under exceptions, will I deploy that anywhere else, right? So it's really moving a lot of those workloads cloud for especially Greenfield. Uh, I talked to my partner ISVs, um, you know, across the, the opportunities they're going after. And uh, I think routinely I got a number around 80% uh, of, their, of their deployments uh, are targeting the public cloud. And so, you know, huge, huge growth in that area. Whereas a few years ago, guess what? I mean, we had active resistance, right, of anything cloud. You mentioned cloud, you may be shown the door. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, many clouds, uh, many telcos had cloud aspirations of their own, right? So yes, they, they've made big investments in this area. So that's changed um, completely. And, you know, ultimately, it, it'll propagate across every region uh, slowly but surely. Is, that, is part of that change also affecting, you know, who you're talking to? Uh, I mean, we've been conscious, you know, we focus on, on the whole kind of convergence story throughout all our research. And one of the things that we see is just that whole interplay between the CIO and the CTO. In telecom, it's a different it's a different dynamic than it is maybe in other environments. I, again, with your long experience, are you seeing 
you seeing those conversations take place with different people now compared to even you know five years ago? Is it is it more CTO conversations talking cloud, or or is the CIO more in charge, or I mean, can you can you generalize or, or give us some some sign yeah. of how that's evolving? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I will generalize somewhat, but it depends on region, right? It depends on on the market. Every market is different. Um, but I would say that yes, it's absolutely changed. Uh, budgets have largely moved to the business, right? So yes, the CIO, you know, and, and or the CTIO still holds um, a lot of influence and control. But the reality is that we're seeing more and more of those decisions be either made or heavily influenced by the business side of the house, right? And so that really means that we need to establish ourselves and build relationships not only with IT but really with the business which means that we now have to understand the customer's business in a much deeper way than we did before hmm. but that's um that's definitely i think a change that we're seeing across most large CEOs and and frankly one that i think it's advantageous right because we really are establishing ourselves more as trusted advisors to the business you know helping them to transform and be successful right um, Rick, I, I would just like to, you know, pivot and bring up uh, what is perhaps the black swan event for this decade, you know, the emergence of ChatGPT or large language models. Um, there's so much of talk around it and you, you actually have the privilege of sitting inside and, you know, seeing what's going on. Uh, so can you maybe talk a little bit about what does that mean for telcos, you know, and then maybe I know we have a few other questions to dig deeper, but let's start there from a chat GPT perspective. Yeah, uh, certainly, John, that's that's great. Uh, it's uh who doesn't want to hear about ChatGPT, right? I talked to, uh, uh, I have three discussions a week uh, with customers around this. The hype's just been um, through the roof, right? But most people started hearing around about ChatGPT maybe around December of last year, 2022, right? When when it was, um, I think it was released in November. Yep. Uh, and so by the time that um, NWC hit, right, in, in late February, man, that that ChatGPT hype was like stratosphere levels, right? It, and it's funny because at our booth, it seems like that's what many telco execs wanted to hear about, right? Obviously, we had a, a huge, uh, as Grant uh, mentioned, a, a, a kind of going out party or, or introductory party for the AFO uh, products that were announced there, but uh, a lot of the hype was really around ChatGPT, OpenAI, um, and really Microsoft's investments in that area, right? So um, one of the top questions we get from customers, and you know that came from starting back in February, was, you know, how are you guys working with OpenAI? What's really the relationship there? Um, how long have you been working with them and, and, and so forth? And so there's a lot of clarifications that we we wanted to make around, you know, how we've been working with OpenAI, how we've been working with these generative pre-trained transformer models, right, the GPT models for many years. Um, you know, certainly you've heard about our, our multi-billion dollar investment in, in OpenAI, the company that's responsible for creating these foundation models. Um, and, and these are models that are really trained on massive, massive amounts of data, um, capable of really performing a, a very wide range of tasks. Uh, we've heard about artificial general intelligence. I'm kind of uh, air quoting myself here. You can't see it, uh, obviously, on the audio. But, you know, AGI is, is, is kind of a you know, super hype. Hey, this is going to be the, the moment that's going to change um, AI in the future. But really, these, these foundation models, things like uh, GPT-4, really, they're the closest thing that we've come to anything like AGI at a, at a large scale. Right. Certainly not AGI in itself, but 
um, you know, really gives you the illusion of such. Uh, you know, I, I've been a, in a few meetings, especially where operators are, and vendors were in the same room. And to me, it felt a bit like um, passing the parcel game. You know, everyone's anxious to, uh, you know, get the get, get that mic in their hands to ask some questions. But at the same time, no one is quite ready to answer or have the right set of answers yet. Uh, I I don't think there has been a technology that moved this fast this you know in this period of time so so I guess some of these questions are expected. Um, we actually uh, Grant and I in fact uh, spend a couple of days with um, Amdocs you know as part of the analyst event and and one of the takeaways that we had was that you know they obviously talked a fair bit about the partnership they have with Microsoft but w one aspect of it which wasn't so obvious to me previously was the amount of effort involved in verticalizing large language models specifically for telecom mm -hmm. because chat gpt by and large is quite generic right it's not focused on any particular industry but to bring that to telco you know there's a lot of work involved um is there something that you want to add to that or you know some something else that's going on that we don't know about yet yeah i mean there, there, there's a i mean you have to kind of um you know, maybe refactor or slice the problem into into a number of, of issues. But yes, the large language models are trained uh, using internet data, right? So open uh, internet um, data, things like uh, Wikipedia, for example, and, and many other things. So they have a, a huge, uh, you know, context to deal with, right? So there's a lot of data there. But if you wanted to be specific to your to your industry, to your business, um, you need to augment that. You need to extend uh, that data with with uh, that model with both your data. Um, and then retrain it, obviously, so it better understands your context, as well as your processes, your AI models, et cetera. So we, what we did is we created this concept of, of a co-pilot. And so let's talk about what that concept is. Mm -hmm. uh, an AI co-pilot, and, and I'm using co-pilot in a, a lowercase c, you know, just as a co-pilot, not a product. But yeah. this, this co-pilot is really just a conversational interface that's going to use these large language models, right, these foundation models, um, to support users and various tasks and decision making, right? And of course, the, the the foundation model could be text, could be images, right? Because it could generate images as well. But for the most part, you know, they use uh, nat natural language as the user experience. And then by leveraging these models, the copilots now possess this capability to understand, to analyze, and to process um, these vast amounts of data, both part data that's part of the model as well as data that you've extended the model with. Um, again, you can extend these these uh, with uh, plugins, for example, uh, ChatGPT, Bing Chat. You know, they're all examples that really fit this this pattern. Now, I, I'm very careful as to how I say Copilot because we have our own set of Copilot products, right? So now right. the capital C, you know, that that we're now infusing across all of our applications, and and it started with the GitHub Copilot. And I'm not sure, um, John, if you've had the the opportunity to play with it, but um, if you've, uh, or even just watched a, a video, but I, I've been, you know, lucky enough to kind of go and, and kick the tires on this thing. But if you've done any development or if you're a developer, you know, you've got to do yourself a favor and, and go give it a spin because it's really nothing short of magical, right? Right. We've got right. this, uh, and with GitHub Copilot, what we term is kind of like an, ex like an extreme AI pair programmer that sits inside of your, your IDE, your integrated development environment, right? So as a developer, um, I can really ask that copilot for assistance and maybe writing or analyzing my code using just natural language. 
right? So yeah. for example, um, you know, Visual Studio, I can say, hey, in, in a comment, in a code comment, I can say, hey, um, create a new function to, uh, to sort an array of strings. And then Copilot is going to go and actually write that code for me, right. comment it, so it explains the code in, in the language of your choice. It could be Java, it could be C Sharp, uh, it could be, uh, you know, Python or any other language uh, that's supported through the platform. And in Telcos, you mentioned, you know, how are they using this stuff? I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's insane, right? So now they're, you know, Telcos are re really using this capability to, to accelerate their development, to improve code quality, reduce bugs. Uh, one really interesting use case now is they're using Copilot to now migrate from legacy code bases to cloud native services, right? To facilitate and accelerate right. the migration process um, and, and a lot more. Well, well. So what, one, I guess, follow up question there, Rick, would be, you know, when you have these conversations with uh, operators uh, around Copilot and ChatGPT in general, mm -hmm. to what extent is the issue of trust coming up. And I, I mean that in the context of, I think there is a fairly reasonable amount of conviction on the smarts yeah. of ChatGPT and the intelligence behind it. But it seems as if it's, you know, it's sometimes prone to making subtle changes to what might be the ideal outcome uh, with, with the people at the receiver's end often not being able to understand that things may have yeah. moved a little bit, you know. So any protections planned in, you know, to protect that trust yeah, that, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, the models are non-deterministic, right? So right. ask the question 10 times, you may get 10 slightly different actions. Uh, but th there's a couple of issues with trust. Let, let's cover your data first, right? Um, because there's there's two bits of, um, of uh, trust and challenging issues here. One is how you extend the models and retrain them with your data. The second one is the data that you provide when you create these prompts, right? When you ask questions, it could be proprietary, right? It could be stuff that you want to control. So with OpenAI specifically, we created the Azure OpenAI service, which is essentially a wrapper around the OpenAI models, right? GPT-3 and GPT-4 as an example. Um, that allows us to give you, you know, all the enterprise class capabilities of Azure when you're running these large language models, right? These foundation models, uh, which means that uh, the, the data that you use uh, to train your own model isn't used to train any other model, including the LLM. It's your data. You have control over it. You have governance and security over the data that you use, right? It's yeah. private to you. It's in your Azure tenant. Um, AT&T made a really good point of this. They're actually using this to create their their uh, my AT&T or their AT&T uh, uh, chat agent, and you know said, look, we need to use the the security capabilities of Azure in order to protect our IP and and our data, right? And so. This is one means of doing that. Now you can comfortably use these large language models in your own domain, in your own Azure subscription without the risk of, you know, that data leaking into, uh, you know, outside of that or into the product itself. Right. Um, that, that includes the prompts, right? Right. The second bit of your question around the trust and the hallucinations and, again, the, the, the fact that these things are non-deterministic, um, there's an entire field that's now evolving uh, to better understand and better be able to deal and manage and create uh, and extend these models, right? So yeah. prompt engineering, for example, is one aspect of that, right? How do you craft the question, your prompt to these models to ensure that you perhaps build a safety net or, you know, you put ropes around what that your model can and cannot do? Um, you have the concept of a meta prompt, which is the... Uh, the part of the model that you expose to your end users can already you know, be curtailed 
uh, with regards to what he can and cannot do, right? So right. for example, the uh, uh, the Codex model that's responsible or powers GitHub uh, Copilot, it knows a lot about code, coding, but right. you don't really want that model to tell you, you know, what's the best uh, item on the Taco Bell menu, right? It's not really relevant to that. It could, but it, it doesn't. And so, you know, we've provided boundaries to ensure the model only does what it's intended to do and doesn't really go outside of that scope. And so we do provide um, a co-pilot framework. So as you're building these, either as a partner like Amdocs or as a customer like AT&T, you can actually begin to provide direction and safety around, you know, ultimately how that model should develop, right? And what it can and can't do. It can do things like prompt filtering, output filtering right. to ensure some level of, of safety. But I think lastly, um, so you probably saw in the news that Microsoft recently launched um, the Frontier Model Forum uh, with our good friends at OpenAI and, and Google and many others in the industry. And it's really an industry body that's focused on ensuring safe and responsible and trusted development of these types of frontier AI models, right? These, these large language models. Right. And it's really important um, that as you kind of forge your path on AI, that you consider responsible, safe, you know, ethical and, and trustworthy use of these capabilities. Rick, it's just like a fire hose, this, this area. And, and it, it takes me back to one I wanted to, to raise earlier. Telecom by and large has this reputation deserved or undeserved. Uh, as being a very conservative, you know, risk-averse, for want of a better phrase, uh, segment. And, and I'm interested in understanding how all of this potential, the speed at which all this is happening, how does this move through uh, through a telco and actually become live operations and, uh, you know, and, and, and visible progress with customers? Do you see that happening faster mm -hmm. than, than it would normally do in, in, in any other kind of conventional technology innovation for telco? And Another any of the customers you're working with, obviously you mentioned AT and T, um, yeah. other others that you would reference as being, you know, particularly, I guess, enthusiastic not only in playing with the technology or evaluating it, but but really committing to to putting this into the front line. Yeah, no, that that's a great question. Telco's risk averse? Come on, I never heard of that, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've I've actually been surprised, and when you asked around, you know, what's changed or you know what you've been surprised with. Um, and again, kind of the, the penetration, the advent, the utilization of the cloud now has been has been key. But a lot of what's driving that is AI because, you know, AI needs the cloud. The reason that we've seen an explosion of AI, look, AI has been available since the 60s, 70s, right? I mean, the reality is we had we had software like SPSS and SAS that really used some of these uh, underlying machine learning capabilities for a very long time, but it wasn't accessible, right? It was really uh, a very niche field for a very long time the cloud changed everything, right? The cloud made processing massive amounts of data, which are kind of a, a, an implicitly important part of AI. AI needs data, right? To, to both be trained and to become better. But it made having all the data in one place and then having the compute power necessary for you to go and train and, and ultimately do inference on that data available to anyone, right? It's just an API now. So it's super, super easy to use, right? So um, I would say that around the open AI models, uh, we have seen this explosion of usage from the Azure OpenAI service because it's just so easy to consume. It is an API. You don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting in order to see value um, out of this uh, out of these set of APIs. Mm -hmm. Now, again, with Azure, we bring enterprise capability. We call it, you know, Azure 
uh, enterprise AI, right? Or sorry, open enterprise AI in the sense that now you have open AI models that, um, again, provide the safety and the trust uh, uh, boundaries that, that John uh, asked about. So we do have some, some cool stories. Maybe let's talk about customer care because that is like, that's the, the first door for introducing AI into your company, right? It seems like that's the place where most telcos begin to experiment with uh, AI, more specifically around uh, generative AI. And so the, the obvious one that we've been doing for years around, you know, creating these AI virtual assistants and agents, right, that provide, you know, better and faster customer service. Uh, Vodafone and Telefonica come to mind here. They've really invested in this area for many years, very, very early, and they continue to see significant improvements month over month, right? They're now augmenting and improving their capabilities using generative AI. Um, you know, over over their the the agents that created from a very long time, and and they really do see the the contacts that are handled via these automated agents versus human agents really maintain a, a really high net promoter score uh, net promoter score the MPS, which actually has been a challenge when when these types of you know bots are introduced uh, to consumers. So I, I mean, it's uh, it's been a, I think a a fairly long journey for both companies in doing this, but they've both done so successfully and really created amazing digital experiences, digital virtual agents that uh, continuously learn, uh, that are able to really resolve most cases rapidly and correctly the first time, right? So you have really high uh, first call resolution types of um, advantages. Uh, and another key to their, to their success has been the fact that they've, they've now enabled the voice channel, right? So now they've replaced a lot of their dated IDR menus with natural language. So now you kind of have the convergence of the IDR channel and now the traditional chat, uh, chat channel into a single application, which, uh, which has been great. In fact, at, at Vodafone, they saw a huge increase once they kind of turned on, they enabled their voice channel for support uh, and they merged that into Toby. Toby's their, their digital assistant. Um, and of course, you know, all these can be used for internal uh, types of use cases as well, like the Ask AT&T, um, generative AI assistant that I, that I mentioned. Yeah. 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 It, it, I mean, it sounds like that, that loop of, you know, innovation, iteration, you know, measure the results, uh, improve, adapt, that, that seems to be happening. Uh, you know, fast. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the one thing to, to keep in mind again, when you start uh, across this AI journey, um, you know, don't, don't think that AI is a project that you're going to go right, develop, deploy, and not look at again. It's, there's a con continuous learning cycle, right? Because you want to improve. You want to ensure that over time, Telefonica and Aura, these bots get better and are able to handle more uh, exchanges with, with users, right? With mm -hmm. their subscribers uh, to, you know, ultimately reduce the, the number of uh, escalations to a human agent. Um, but, you know, another really, really cool one that I've seen recently um, this is, uh, and we've already deployed this in a number of telcos, is ways that you can use generative AI to kind of streamline the contact center. And so one really uh, low-hanging fruit of a use case is um, call summarization, right? So somebody calls the contact center, they talk to an agent, it could be a chat, it could be a voice call, um, but the end result of that is normally a transcript, right? So we now have a transcript that says, you know, caller said this, agent said that, and you have the transcript of the entire session, the entire call. We're now able to use um, the Azure OpenAI service to go and provide a summary of that, right? So we now have a nice, clean, you know, maybe one or two paragraph summary of what uh, transcurred. And we, we now have things like, hey, um, can we now go and determine what was the reason for the call? 
-hmm. was the call uh, was the call resolved adequately? You know, how long did it take? Um, how many people were needed to escalate through that? So you can get a lot of intelligence um, through this generative AI question and answer type of thing, right? Uh, what was the sentiment of the call? And all that data can, can now be pushed to the uh, customer CRM record, right? So it's, it's available next time that they call. Now, this kind of wrap up would normally take an agent three to five minutes, yeah. you know, afterwards. Now it's done. You don't do it anymore. It just happens automatically. Mm -hmm. Now the, the agent can now, you know, be hot and move on to the next customer um, and not have to worry about, you know, doing a job at, at the wrap up. And, and that, that's been a huge one and easy to implement, relatively inexpensive and provides huge value right off the bat. That's, that's that's always that's always good to hear. <laughs> Huge value <laughs> uh, delivered quickly. Uh, you know that 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 always sells well in in telco. No, absolutely. And and again, it goes because the fact that these these models are uh, again they're sitting on Azure, right? They're very easy to to, to interact with. It's uh, merely a REST API call away. Right. Terrific. Rick, I, I, I know we're slightly over our, our time today. I, I, I want to say thanks very much. You've given us a, a lot of great insight into into what Microsoft is doing. Uh, certainly in that sort of front, front part of the business. We didn't even need to go too far into, into Azure or some of the other things you're doing. Maybe we'll explore that with some of your colleagues in a, in a future podcast. But, but thank you very much for your time today. It's much appreciated. You have been listening to the Appledore Research Podcast. Join us next time for more insights and conversation on the transformation of telecom.